1: It's been 3,331 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 412 days since the large scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia Ukraine War. The Malcontent News Russia Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain there is a significant chance of a large-scale Russian missile strike between April 11th and April 16th, but we acknowledge that Russian VKS and Black Sea Fleet activity has decreased significantly in the last 72 hours. Second, we also maintain that the Russian VKS and naval forces are experiencing a critical shortage of precision munitions as it's been more than a month since the last wide-scale missile attack on Ukrainian infrastructure, and the Air Force is relying on GLONASS-guided glide bombs to attack border regions of Ukraine. Third, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. Fourth, we maintain the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase, and Ukrainian forces are executing a planned retrograde operation. Fifth, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions, particularly anti-tank-guided missiles, or ATGMs. Sixth, we maintain that, short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also called seaburn weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. Seventh, Russian white nationalism connected to the Russian Orthodox Church and senior policymakers within Russian President Vladimir Putin's orbit are fueling religious and racial tension. Eighth, the risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid remains possible as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, targets Ukraine's power industry. I think this can go without saying, so we're going to go ahead and retire this assessment. And finally, we maintain that the Kremlin is actively interfering with the governments of Moldova and Georgia to derail the European Union membership accession process and destabilize their current governments. This can also go without saying, so we're retiring this assessment as well. One year ago yesterday, on April tenth, two 2022, Russian forces maintained their operational pause after the defeat in Kyiv, and the only significant fighting was in Mariupol. The battlefield situation was eerily similar to today's conditions, substituting a non-surrounded Bakhmut for a surrounded Mariupol, which had entered its 40th day under siege. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. The Dvorichna and Kupiansk operational areas were stable, with Russian and Ukrainian forces trading artillery strikes. While Ukrainian forces concentrated on Russian positions and equipment, Russian forces concentrated on civilian areas and civilian infrastructure on the west bank of the Oskil River. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The situation has stabilized in the Svatova operational area, with Russian forces discontinuing their attempts to recapture Novoselivsky. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, suggested that Russian-occupied Pishchane, which is contested based on somewhat outdated data, was heavily shelled on the Russian-controlled eastern side. In the Kremina operational area, where the fighting was being conducted expanded, but the operational tempo remains significantly lower than 30 to 45 days ago. According to Russian sources, Russian troops supported by artillery made localized attacks in the direction of Makievka and Nevsky and from Chervonopopivka without success. Further south, the situation is unchanged, with Russian forces attempting to advance in the directions of Yampolivka and Torske from the forested areas west of Kremina and near the power line south of Dibrova that crossed the Serebriansky woods. NASA firm's data confirmed the reports. With indications of heavy fighting at a known Ukrainian forward operating base south of Kremina. Based on the most recent intelligence, we have high confidence in the accuracy of our war map in this operational area. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that fighting restarted near Bielokhodivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. In the Solidar operational area, Ukrainian forces conducted a localized offensive on Sakui Vanseti and forced the Russian troops holding the damaged 513 highway bridge over the Vasyukivka river to flee, recapturing the position. The Bakhmut operational area continued to experience the heaviest fighting in Ukraine. There were minor adjustments to the map based on yesterday's intelligence, which pulled back the line of conflict in the northern part of the city. It has been 252 days since the first Russian attack on the administrative border of the city on August 2, 2022. PMC Wagner mercenaries and the Russian 217th Airborne Regiment attempted to advance in the directions of Hryurivka, Botanivka, and Hromova. None of the attacks were successful. In the village of Orichova-Vasilivka, only shelling was reported. In the northern part of Bakhmut, there were conflicting reports on the status of School 24, with many Russian and Ukrainian sources reporting the facility and area around it was under Ukrainian control. Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar was an outlier, reporting the school had been captured, but they have been less than reliable in reporting on the situation in Bakhmut. Multiple reports also indicated fighting was north of Rose Alley, and NASA firm's data supported this intelligence. Russian mercenary mill vlogger War Gonzo reported all Russian attempts to advance deeper into Bakhmut from the north failed. We adjusted the map, but even with these changes, we are likely still overstating Russian gains in this area. In the city center, the situation is mostly unchanged. Rybar no longer claimed that the state police station building is under Russian control, stating that all buildings north of there are captured. this aligns with other reports from Russian and Ukrainian sources and our assessment yesterday. So in the city center, there were no changes to the line of conflict. Fighting continued in Verkhny Park, the area of the Church of All Saints, and about 300 meters east of railroad station one. NASA firms indicated there was heavy shelling of Ukrainian controlled areas west of the railroad tracks in the Rose Alley area and near the Avantgard Stadium. In the southern part of Bakhmut, fighting continued near Avantgard Stadium with Russian forces south of Bakhmutka Avenue and along Korsunskoho Street. There were no reports of fighting in the area of the MiG-17. NASA firms showed that a section of the T-504 highway west of Stupochki was shelled, indicating the second ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, remains open but very dangerous. No significant fighting was reported by reliable and semi-reliable sources south of Bakhmut. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, the heaviest fighting was north of the city in the area of the Krasnohorivka plateau. Social intelligence and videos highlighted the back-and-forth nature of the fighting. Russian attempts to advance in the direction of Novokalynove and Keramik from Novobakhmutivka failed. A video from the Donetsk People's Republic or DNR People's Militia Telegram channel showed Ukrainian forces west of Novobakhmutivka in a forested strip on the H20 highway being shelled. Ukrainian forces didn't withdraw, and the effectiveness of the attack is questionable. Based on this information, we moved the gray area further east. The GSAFU reported a failed attempt to advance in the direction of Berdychi, and it's likely this same failed attack. Renewed attempts to advance on Avdiivka with frontal attacks failed to move the line of conflict. The city was heavily shelled and bombed by the Russian VKS with Fab 500 SE GLONASS-guided glide bombs, flattening an apartment tower. The building was unoccupied. Fighting in the no-man's land between Vodiana and Siewrny continued, At least two Russian Infantry Fighting Vehicles, or IFVs, were destroyed, with Russian troops running from the battlefield. This is the exact same area where dozens of IFVs, Armored Personnel Carriers, or APCs, and Main Battle Tanks, or MBTs, have been destroyed since February. Russian troops also attempted to retake lost positions west of the center of Odiana without success. Positional fighting in the area of Pervomyskoye continued, and Russian forces attempted to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevilskoye. In the Marinka operational area, intense fighting continued throughout the day. While Ukrainian armor has been able to operate with little concern for ATGMs and man-portable anti-tank weapons, Russian tankers cannot say the same. Two Russian tanks advanced into the rubble of Marinka, with one using an action camera to record a first-person point of view from the turret. The tanks fired a few rounds before an ATGM, or possibly a drone-delivered IED, strikes the tank captured on video. The MBT is able to exit the kill zone with both tanks breaking off the attack. The stricken tank is abandoned, with one of the Russian soldiers grabbing the action cam before climbing on top of the second tank for extraction. We do link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon. Russian forces remain in a defensive posture in the Vukhledar operational area, and there haven't been reports of significant troop movements through Mariupol in over a week. People of occupied Donetsk who are listening to the podcast, stay safe. Moving on to Zaporizhia. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Ukrainian Colonel Vladislav Nazarov of Operational Command South, or OKS, reported eight Black Sea Fleet vessels are on patrol, including one Kilo class submarine capable of launching up to four caliber cruise missiles. OKS spokesperson Captain Natalia Kuminyuk said there was a significant increase in Russian surveillance drone activity, which in the past has been a prelude to drone and missile attacks. Quote, Drones are active, and the information collection in this case suggests that the enemy, she means Russia, is looking for new ways to attack at a distance. They are collecting information about what kind of attack would be most effective. It is the activation of the UAV along the front line and the coast that suggests that some attacks may be prepared. End quote. Operation of the Strait Ferry was suspended due to fog and will likely stay that way due to the upcoming storm that will produce heavy rain and winds up to 25 meters per second. That's 90 kilometers per hour or 55 miles per hour. In Odessa, residents were warned to stay away from beaches due to the forecast storm because of the danger of sea mines washing ashore. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery across the Dnipro, with Russian forces executing 56 fire missions, firing 285 artillery rounds, mortars, grad rockets, indirect tank fire, drone-delivered IEDs, and three airstrikes with Fab 500 SE GLONASS-guided glide bombs. Five attacks were made on the city of Kherson, with no injuries reported. Colonel Nazarov of OKS reported that a 20-year-old couple looking for some alone time took a small pleasure craft into the bay near Bereslav. Their boat was hit by a drone-delivered IED, seriously injuring the couple, who could face criminal charges for violating martial law. Longtime listeners may have noted that we infrequently report attacks in the Nikopol rayon in Dnipropetrovsk these days, Russian attacks are down 90% from 45 days ago, likely due to rationing of non-precision munitions. In north and northeast Ukraine, we've stopped reporting every shelling of Romadas regardless of the size, setting an editorial guideline of at least 50 mortars or larger munitions, or reports of casualties. The Sumy oblast just cleared the bar. Five Romadas were hit by 50 mortars, including Khotin, Velika Pisarivka, Bilopilia, Shalakhin, and Miropilia. In Khotin, power lines were damaged. Otherwise, the attacks were uneventful.
0: You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast – Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Let's talk about developments theater-wide
1: and outside Ukraine. The Operational Command of the Armed Forces of Ukraine released a video showing how Ukrainian roads have been turned into runways for Su-27s and MiG-29s, and almost certainly the rest of their Air Force, noting this has been the case since the start of the war. Alexei Reznikov, Minister of Defense of Ukraine, invited foreign pilots with training in flying F-16s to serve with the Ukrainian Air Force as foreign volunteers. We had reported on March 10th that Raznikov said Ukrainian laws were being changed to permit foreigners to serve as officers within the ranks of the Air Force. There is no indication that Ukraine has received or will receive F-16s or other fourth-generation Western fighter aircraft. Some assessment. Had a commitment been made a year ago, Ukraine would be capable of operating aircraft such as the F-15 Strike Eagle the F-16 Talon, or the A-10 Thunderbolt II by now. With the Russian VKS using Fab 500 SE glide bombs as a substitute for cruise missiles, the only viable option for defense is combat air patrols interdicting Russian aircraft, which Ukrainian MiG-29s are incapable of because of their age in comparison to Russian Su-31, Su-34, and Su-35 aircraft. We maintain that a key pillar of NATO military doctrine is the use of air power and standoff precision munitions. The Kremlin has not enforced its March 2022 red line of providing Ukraine with aircraft beyond threats of don't make us nuke you from Russian state media. The inability to provide combat air patrols forces Kyiv to fight with one hand behind its back while expecting the military to fight using NATO doctrine. Worse, Even if the United States or other allied nations decided to provide F-16s tomorrow, it would still take almost a year if the airframes came from mothballed or retiring inventory. We believe that Western nations need to provide offensive air capability to Ukraine now. Our analysts are concerned about how Russia's Fab 500 SE glide bombs could impact logistics during the upcoming Ukrainian offensive. Reznikov also hinted that the Ukrainian navy is ready to introduce a new capability, saying, quote, I really want to share the details with which I am familiar, but we have an agreement with the commander of the Ukrainian fleet, Alexey Neishpapa. Thanks to his efforts and his team, this happened, but we can't reveal all the details right now. Some nuances are still not known to our enemy, which means that we can offer them yet another surprise at sea, another pop associated with their ships we are just waiting for the right moment to repeat history end quote quick sidebar this is very intriguing and it is probably not bioengineered combat salmon as disappointed as i am by that in a move that would bolster morale the verkhovna rada passed a measure to reinstate 30,000 hryvnia monthly payments that's around 800 U.S. dollars, to Ukrainian soldiers until the end of martial law. We had previously reported that the lack of bonus pay was an issue for all troops, but in particular for people conscripted in 2020 and 2021 who cannot be dismissed from service, nor can they serve in combat even if they wanted to. Some soldiers are only being paid 10 to $20 a month. The measure is far from approval, with open questions on how Kyiv would support the payments to troops. Part of the funding would come from putting a cap on civil servants' pay, which was not receiving a warm reception. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky appointed Oleksandr Kamyshin to the staff of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief of the Minister for Strategic Industries of Ukraine and Ruslan Kravchenko as the new Kyiv oblast administrative and military governor. Kravchenko was the head of the Bucha District Prosecutor's Office. At a briefing on Monday, Chris Meager, assistant to the head of the Pentagon, said that United States Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was first informed about the leak of top secret documents on April 6th and the next day began, quote, convening senior leaders on a daily basis, end quote. Washington has been in damage control with allies and partners after it was revealed that U.S. Department of Defense monitoring goes deeper than many thought, including friends and foes. The Pentagon says the information leaked is extremely secret and poses a, quote, "...very serious risk to the national security," end quote, of the United States. Multiple agencies are investigating the source of the leak with the owner of the Discord server that initially released the materials identified yesterday. South Korea and Israel have objected to information in the reports potentially revealing that Egypt was preparing to sell munitions to Russia in violation of sanctions. Bellingcat ruled out that Russia or any other foreign nation was behind the leak, tweeting that the source of the leak was likely, quote, some guy on a tiny Discord server trying to impress 20 of his gamer friends, end quote. CNN reported that Ukraine was forced to alter its counter-offensive plans due to the leak, citing a source close to President Zelensky. Ironically. There is significant distrust in the Russian millblogger and social media space because there are multiple versions of the documents, with some altered to minimize Russian losses and boost combat potential. While the Western media appears to be accepting the content at face value, Russian state media is publicly treating the information as a disinformation campaign. Some assessment here. One of the core pillars of journalism is to minimize harm while balancing the public's right to know. Some major United States news organizations are running daily deep-dive analyses on classified information and talking to subject matter experts to tease out fact from fiction and what can be read between the lines. It is not hyperbole to state that the revelations of the United States' intelligence-gathering capabilities, including in countries such as Russia and China, could compromise intelligence assets. Bluntly put, the continued pushing of this information into the news cycle while providing in-depth analysis could get people killed. We can't determine if the information is authentic or an elaborate psychological operation, which is another reason we do not provide an analysis. Third, did I say first and second? Whatever. While Bellingcat has, in our assessment, rightly concluded that the first public source was someone trying to gain clout on social media, it still doesn't point to the root of the leak. If the scope of damage to U.S. and NATO security is as deep as advertised, there should not be any discussion that the person is too far up in the government to prosecute and there is a need to, I don't know, prevent public embarrassment or outrage over what some may label a politically motivated accusation. Finally, while the most damaging leak of United States information in over a decade is ongoing, it has involved 4chan, Discord, and Twitter, but did not involve Chinese-owned TikTok. Twitter owner Harry Balls, as he named himself on Monday before switching back to Elon Musk, plans to reinstate Russian state media accounts. It is shocking that the United States Congress is not demanding to learn why these platforms dragged their feet on stopping the damage, with Musk replying to press inquiries on April 7th with the poop emoji. This is the bad place. pmc Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin continues to be convinced that Ukraine will attack and capture the Bilgorod region of Russia and offer to swap the territory for Crimea, occupied Kherson and Zaporizhia, and the Donbass. He insists that Ukraine has prepared a force of up to 400,000 equipped with Western weapons and technology for the upcoming counteroffensive. Well, that that would be impressive. Denmark has agreed to provide, quote, about 100 Leopard 1 MBTs, which technologically would be on par with a Russian T-72. In addition, acting minister of defense of Denmark, Trulslund Polsen, said that by May, Ukraine would be provided with French Caesar 155mm self-propelled howitzers. The Leopard 1 tanks are expected to arrive sometime in the summer. Germany reported it was expanding a previous aid package, including one Dachs armored engineering and recovery vehicle, eight Zetros trucks, eight mobile radio communication systems, eight reconnaissance drones, and almost 25,000 40mm rounds of ammunition. Operational Command of the Armed Forces of Ukraine released photos showing a second batch of 125mm tank rounds in transit from a third-party NATO nation producing the Soviet-era ammunition in cooperation with Kyiv. Speaking of Soviet era, let's talk about the Russian military, mobilization, and Mir. The governors of two Russian regions bordering Ukraine have cancelled May 9th Victory Day parades. Victory Day is when Russia celebrates its capture of Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, Poland, Moldova, and Romania, and holding its grip on Ukraine in cooperation with Nazi Germany. Or, as Russia likes to call it, its defeat of Nazi Germany in World War II. Roman Starovojt, the governor of Kursk Oblast, and Vyacheslav Gladkov, the governor of Belgorod Oblast, called off the parades, with Stadovoit saying it was due to enhanced, quote, anti-terrorism measures activated last week. We had previously reported that Moscow's Victory Day parade would go on, but would be smaller than 2022, which was smaller than 2021. The Kremlin stated that approximately 125 vehicles and 10,000 troops would participate. Last year, there were almost 140 pieces of equipment and 12,500 marchers. Most were identified as cadets from regional military training academies and reserve units. Last year's flyover was canceled allegedly due to weather, which was partly to mostly cloudy with light winds and a high ceiling. Unofficially, the display of air power was reportedly canceled due to a shortage of pilots. Russian State Duma Deputy Andrey Kartopolov and the Chairman of the Defense Committee confirmed that subpoenas for conscripts would be sent by text and app and are legally binding. People who don't report to the commissariat will be banned from leaving Russia, their driver's licenses revoked, barred from buying or selling real estate and taking out loans, and unable to register a static IP address. The Duma also approved an amendment to current laws increasing the sentence for treason to imprisonment for life. The Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or GUR, released an intercepted phone call between a Russian Mobik and his family. He reports that his unit, which was trained to operate tanks, was told there weren't any tanks for them to operate and has been turned into a light infantry unit armed only with light weapons. He claimed that, quote, half of the regiment was already missing and knew one person who had lost their legs. Everything is going to plan. Hopefully a nationwide plan with unlimited texting. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, even more good news. Russia and Ukraine conducted a prisoner of war swap on the Russian sumy border. The exchange included 106 Russians and 100 Ukrainians. 80 men and 20 women were repatriated, including soldiers, border guards, marines, and territorial guards. The swap included defenders of Azovstal who have been in captivity for almost a year. In an emotional video, one of the former POWs called his mother to tell her he is alive and back in Ukraine. During the call, he learned that his wife had given birth to their child, a baby girl. Obviously, we link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Make sure you have tissues. Since the first POW exchange, 2,105 Ukrainian service members and civilians have been returned. Also, 24 children illegally held by Russia were returned to their families and guardians in Kherson. In geopolitical and economic news, the deputy head of the State Duma Committee on Information Policy proposed ending the blocking of Twitter in Russia in response to the social media company's decision to reinstate access to multiple Russian government accounts. Ukraine renewed electrical exports due to excess capacity and stability in the system. The last wide-scale attack on Ukraine's energy infrastructure was on March 9, 2023, which was ineffective, enabling Ukraine to restart exports to Moldova. Russia was forced to sell more gold out of its national reserve to cover its budget deficit due to shrinking oil and gas revenues and the expanding cost of the war in Ukraine. While local officials were predicting six weeks ago that Crimea would receive 1 to 3 million more tourists in 2023 due to the earthquakes in Turkey and unrest in Georgia, which makes literally zero sense, the bookings never materialized. Russian officials underestimated the impact of constant air raid alerts, sonic booms, the occasional explosion, undisciplined Chechen Ahmad soldiers doing what they want, and trenches, bunkers, barbed wire, minefields, and air defenses on Black Sea beaches. Doesn't make for a restful holiday. Filed under, sanctions clearly aren't working, an Aeroflot Airbus A33300 wide-body airliner flew to Tehran on April 5th to receive service from Makan Air. The deal has been in negotiation for months as the Russian domestic and international air industry is literally falling apart. The first aircraft sent to Iran needs repair to its landing gear struts. Previously, Aeroflot used other providers' facilities, including Hong Kong-based Heiko, for these purposes. International sanctions imposed in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine have blocked using foreign repair services and made spare parts hard to obtain. Russia's civilian air infrastructure is starting to break apart, with airports unable to register and legally operate special equipment because they can't pass maintenance inspections. Airline officials in Russia are concerned the problem will be made worse in the summer when passenger traffic is expected to increase. Russian airports are increasingly faced with having to continue to use equipment without registration, which ironically prevents future maintenance as it will expose the continued use of red tagged equipment. The only other option would be to close the airport due to the inability to support ground and flight operations. The larger challenge is supporting international carriers, which are already limited. Even among more friendly nations, insurance carriers and international regulations will add increasing pressure until airlines may have to stop service. The ruble is at the same level it was a year ago, with an exchange rate of 83 for one U.S. dollar. The currency is down 25% from five years ago, while the euro, British pound, and American greenback experienced smaller declines. The exchange rate for the euro is 90 to 1, and for the British pound sterling, 102 to 1. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then,
0: stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.